You're listening to The Outfield with Eddie Robinson on Sirius XM OutCue. We're talking with founder and president of Ski Bombs, Chris French, here on Sirius XM's The Outfield, Channel 106 on OutCue. We're talking to him about Olympian Gus Kenworthy, number one ranked free skier in the world. He recently gave an interview to ESPN announcing that he's openly gay. Chris, talk to us about athletes having to play at this higher standard. I read that Kenworthy actually wanted to win the gold medal before he'd come out as gay. The fact that he's playing in the Olympics is already commendable to begin with, competing against the best. Why is this notion of always having to perform at a higher standard so significant when you're an openly gay athlete? I think it's it's a sad but true reality that many of us, when we've grown up in a world where we've been taught that being gay is simply wrong or uncool, that we come to view our sexuality as a demerit, as a, a negative mark against us. And some of us can sometimes feel that we have to overachieve in some other area to compensate for that. Right. And so I know that's something that I related to. I was a very ambitious kid. I grew up in a small, small rural community of you know just 500 people. But I was determined to be so good at whatever I did that it would be enough to get me out of that town and kind of go on to you know, eventual notoriety. I, I thought I was going to be a famous actor. So I, nice. I had my own kind of silly dreams. I was dreaming of being uh, the next child star or <laughs> in a Steven Spielberg film. So I eventually learned that wasn't where I was going to make my mark. But once I discovered skiing, I definitely was determined to be the best skier I knew. And I think that's something that Gus uh, touched on in, in his interview. Um, it's something that I think is, is also just true of part of the stereotypes that we have about particularly gay men. I don't think this is so true for women. Uh, mm-hmm. Lesbians are often assumed to be jock boys and in some way, or jock girls or, or in, in this kind of idea that they are uh, actually more athletic. But for, for gay men, we have the reverse stereotype that we're sissies, that we can't throw, that we can't run, that we're weak. And when those stereotypes have, have preexisted, if you happen to like athletics, uh, you have that stereotype to try to fight back against to prove that we can be just as strong and just as skilled and just as coordinated as our straight counterparts. And I'd like to piggyback on what you had mentioned there about the uncoolness of being gay. You know, while the locker room atmosphere of football or basketball doesn't exist in freestyle skiing, I mean, it's still a sport that's built on a certain brand of, I would say, uh, uh, machismo, a a devil may care um, masculinity. Uh, I mean, it seems to have an environment of being a daredevil. You know, what kind of environment does it lend itself to, especially within free skiing and even X Games communities? How intense and perhaps even homophobic these environments really are? I mean, I'm sure you can relate to what Gus was saying in his interview about these environments, these free skiing and X game competition environments. I could. I mean, I could talk about this stuff forever, so I'll do my best to keep my my thoughts brief. But for people who might not be familiar with free skiing or for people who uh, just, I mean, most people are not really aware of this. Free skiing itself is a relatively recent sport. Uh, It's something that, that people used to kind of do tricks in the air uh, you can watch old ski movies from the 80s and, and see people starting to experiment. But in many ways, the real sport of free skiing is something that's only emerged in the last 15 or 20 years right alongside 
the advent of new media. And so as the sport has taken off in popularity, there is an entire culture of, of, of media that, that follows it. And so there are film production companies that take these skiers into spectacular places and film jaw-dropping footage uh, throughout the winters. In the summer times, they go to Chile and, and New Zealand and, and places in Argentina uh, to shoot these films. And these films are shown all over the country in, in mountain towns. Uh, there's even screenings in big cities. Um, but these films have this kind of rabid fan base that will show up. They learn the names of all of these athletes. They look at the brands that those athletes are wearing in these, in these films, and they buy those brands specifically because their particular hero, who has a style and an athleticism that goes far and beyond, uh, is someone that they look up to and they want to be like. And, and so alongside all of these athletes, there's an entire culture of media presentations from films to Vine videos and Vimeo clips that get shared and, 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 and put out on social media. And the sponsors like Red Bull who want to be associated with all of those characteristics. Mm-hmm. When you are ballsy enough, courageous enough to fly down mountains at astonishing speeds, or to do insane, you know, 360-degree double-triple flips off, you know, essentially what is a giant slab of ice, uh, that absolutely plays into these machismo ideas. But it goes beyond that. They have parties and, and famous mm-hmm. DJs that play at these events where you're expected to show up there with a hot girl on your arm. Yeah. Or, you know, within the culture itself, it's kind of expected that, that, as Gus Kenworthy said, you're expected to be cool and to be pulling the, the hottest chicks, as he said. Um, and so if you're someone who happens to be gay, you now either have to lie and pretend, uh, as Gus sometimes said he did and would cry about it because he just felt so inauthentic. Or you just, in, in Gus's case, if you are dating a boy later, you have to try to hide that from everyone for fear that you will no longer remain that hero that teenagers are looking up to and the peers that you're shredding alongside are just not going to think you're cool anymore. Gus was genuinely afraid. He said in, an inter- in the interview in ESPN, and he then repeated in an interview with Vice magazine, that he was facing his coming out day with the prospect of, in his, as he said, losing all his followers. Um, I think a lot of us have outside fears when we're still in the closet, but it was yeah. something that that uh, he has talked about really genuinely feeling. So it, that, therefore, it's been that much more powerful for me to see the support that he actually received. All of those other top-level skiers and snowboarders have sent tweets of congratulations. His sponsors released their own uh, supportive messages saying that they were going to stand by him. Team USA put out a rainbow logo saying, we we're proud to have you as a member of Team USA. Wow. Uh, and this is, you know, this is USA in an in, who competes in the IOC, who only very recently adopted their own protections against LGBT discrimination. So this is a new culture that we're stepping into in terms of gay acceptance, and pre-skiing itself is a relatively new sport. Uh, So it's exciting that it's finally claimed this mantle of of being actually progressive overnight. Tell us more about his relationship with his ex-boyfriend, because for me, I find that incredibly authentic, incredibly genuine about his story, that he's decided to put all that out in the open and share that with the rest of the world as well. So he has said that they are no longer together. Um, 
since Gus is coming out, I've had the chance to have some conversations with other people just who know Gus socially yeah. and who were with him in Sochi and were who part of the whole free skiing world. And so I had one friend who told me that uh, a lot of them actually knew that Gus and his boyfriend were together. Uh, they didn't feel that it was their position to out him to the media. But Gus had become had started coming out socially uh, to some of the other skiers that, that were part of that circuit. And part of it was simply because they knew Robin, his ex, and Robin was an out gay person. Um, so from what I can understand, Robin and Gus, as they were together in Sochi, they were still dating. Uh, Robin had seen that there were a lot of stray dogs in and around the Sochi area. And uh, they had the compassion to, to decide to adopt some. Uh, because Gus was the one with the silver medal around his neck, I think that he got a lot of the credit. Um, but Robin stayed behind in Sochi long after the Olympics just to kind of work it out so they could bring home uh, some of those dogs. One of them, unfortunately, died in Russia. Another one died after they got to the States. So it wasn't just as simple and as easy as that. But I think that the, the notion of the closet in, in this kind of uh, situation is powerful because Gus ended up on the Today Show with his boyfriend at the time. You can go back now and you can still watch the clip. Mm -hmm. And the, the anchors on Today described his then boyfriend as a good friend. And so this idea of kind of being out to a few people or maybe kind of hiding in plain sight um, is something that, that I think a number of figures within the, the sporting community have, have dealt with. Uh, and we're, we're currently in that era where we are waiting to see yeah. more closeted athletes come out. We've had Michael Sam publicly say that he knows of other gay people who are playing in the NFL. Uh, we've had Jason Collins and uh, John Amici, who I'm friends with, who have talked about hearing from uh, college players or you know, NBA players early in their careers who are contemplating coming out. We're still waiting to see more and more people have the courage to do what a small number of athletes has had the chance to do. But one of the sad realities of this is that even, uh, even if a handful of people know, uh, when you are a visible athlete like that, you have the potential to really change people's lives. And so I think Gus is someone who came to realize the way that Michael Sam did and Jason Collins did that the positive impact that they stood to, to gain by inspiring, especially young people, was going to be far greater than, than any negative backlash they might experience. And as each of them has seen, you know, there's always one or two people that says something stupid, but, but that's nothing compared to just the incredible support that they receive. And does it matter uh, that a player has to be at the top of their game? I mean, because I know we talked about this earlier, but I'm wondering, at the end of the day, even out those outside of being athletes, um, you know, we think that it should be a stage in our life where our bank accounts might determine when we ought to come out or not. Many of us think that we could lose our jobs or be looked at differently that can cause concern and employment um, um, and, you know, employment issues, you know, where we might uh, want some kind of promotion. We're working in a field where, you know, we're an elementary school teacher or a grade school teacher or a high school coach or teacher and a parent and a private at a private Christian school may not want their kid with that particular person. You know, does it matter that a person or a player has to be at the top of their game when they're considering the notion of whether to come out or not? I would certainly say what many others have said, that, that you personally, if coming out is a very personal decision, you should not do it until you are personally ready to do so. But I'm also willing to say that, that many of us 
have an outsized fear of what the potential negative what the potential negatives are going to be. We very easily can think about sacrifices that we may have to make uh, upon coming out. Maybe so-and-so might make fun of us. Maybe a friend might not take it so well, or that religious family member might, uh, you know, begin behaving in a, in a more distanced way with us. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think what many people who are still in the closet can eventually be blind to are the sacrifices that they're making by staying in the closet. And some of those biggest sacrifices, and I think most damaging sacrifices, are just uh, living an authentic life with authentic relationships with people who know you and love you for who you really are. That, to me, was what eventually led me to come out. I was simply just lying to everyone, and my relationships were growing more and more surfacy by the year. And I could just tell. I had friends who were opening up and sharing with me things about their lives mm-hmm. and their relationships, and I couldn't, counter, I couldn't counter with those same details from my life. And so I was developing all these really imbalanced friendships. I knew that I couldn't sustain it, and I just felt like I was lying to some of the people I cared about the most. Um, I think when a person is ready to, to get real, that's the time to come out. Um, I think there are a handful of people in scenarios around the world where coming out truly is a safety concern. Um, but the vast majority of us, especially those of us that live in America, we are lucky to have incredible protections. We have legal protections that, can, that we can rely on in terms of our jobs and hiring. Mm-hmm. Um, we obviously need more and, those, more and more of those protections, but uh, I've also learned that the kinds of people that love you and support you are the kind of people that you want in your life. If someone is, for whatever reason, not cool with you being gay, chances are good that they're not the best person for you to be to have as a, as a, as a close uh, a person in your life. There's a lot of other people that are there to love you exactly as you are. You know, that's a great point, Chris. And let's talk about this post-Michael Sam era for gay athletes for a minute. I mean, you know, there still seems to be pro athletes who are still concerned about being this advocate, being this activist, and all of that responsibility will take them away from their number one priority, which is to play the sport that they love. But I believe, you know, now that we had that historical Supreme Court ruling from this past summer, all the scrutiny, all the criticisms, the joys, the pain, the support, the media coverage of openly gay athletes, all this will start to look different now, I think, uh, post-Michael Sam. As a result of Gus Kenworthy coming out as gay, what does this post-Michael Sam era look like to you? I think many of us are tempted uh, to kind of cheer for these very top-level famous athletes to come out because we hope that they will kind of create a wake, a kind of of an energy that will make it easier for someone who is maybe not so notorious and maybe hasn't achieved uh, quite that same level of of fame and fortune Mm -hmm. to come out. and it would be really great to see someone at that level of, of, sport, of the sporting world do so. I think what we're honestly more likely to see, however, are people who are coming out now as teenagers, as, as middle schoolers, who are athletically gifted. And in a previous generation, even though they were very talented athletically, they might feel like a career in sports wasn't available to them simply because that atmosphere was going to be homophobic and wouldn't allow them to, to follow their passions. And so although they might have been talented enough to be an NBA star, they decided not to follow that path. Whereas now, because of people like Jason Collins, because of people like Ken Gusworthy, because of the support from organizations like the NFL and the NBA, 
they are now going to be able to follow that passion. They'll come out as a teenager, they'll stay out as they enter a Division One school, and they'll already be out as a non-issue when they're finally drafted. That is something that we will see over the next decade, and I'm really excited about that, that time in our history. Yeah, that's going to be pretty phenomenal. Chris, before we let you go, I want to give you an opportunity to tell us more about Ski Bums. We're so grateful for Gus Kenworthy to do what he's done, and that's really sort of opened up your world. And, you know, I'm really curious to find find out, you know, how many members are there in Ski Bombs? Is there a membership cost? You know, tell us more because tis the season for the winter and <laughs> snow sports. And many of us have, you know, have found something to do. But when it comes to the winter, the snow sports is ideal. So give us some insight into what Ski Bombs is all about and why it was formed. It is. I have plenty of gay friends who, as soon as it starts snowing and the weather turns bad, they turn into just nonstop hibernators who do nothing but <laughs> exactly. but watch Netflix all winter exactly. long. And there's nothing against that. If your idea, if your only idea of a vacation is to get away to a warm tropical beach, I, I get it. But those of us who grew up skiing, uh, are, are, the winter can be one of our favorite seasons because when a snowstorm strikes, uh, we're calling each other up, and we're, we're making our plans to, to get up into the mm-hmm. mountains. Ski Bums is the world's largest club for LGBT skiers and snowboarders. It got started in New York. I created it in New York in 2003, 2004, and we started hosting trips in 2005, just local things with a, a crew of, of LGBT skiers and riders who I happened to meet in New York. Mm-hmm. Um, but it grew organically, and it grew pretty quickly. And within a few years, we started having members joining from uh, throughout the Northeast, and then eventually around the country, eventually around the world. Right now we have 2,600 members from all 50 states and more than 20 foreign countries. Uh, membership is free, so all you have to do is just go to ski-bums.org. There's that dash in there, ski-bums.org. You can sign up for membership. We do social events that are open to anyone in cities around the country and a handful overseas. We're doing one in London this year. Um, but then the real excitement is that we host guided group trips to all the world's best ski resorts. So we'll get together, uh, we'll organize trips of 40 to 50 people typically, and we'll go to the best places to ski everywhere from Jackson Hole, Wyoming to St. Anton in Austria, Chamonix in France. This year we're hosting our third trip to Japan. Wow. Uh, next summer we're going to be going to New Zealand. So if there's a fantastic place to ski, uh, we will take you there. And Chris, domestically, give us an idea of some specific key cities here in the States that ski bums sort of focus or hone in on. Yeah, we do have local we do have local events in a handful of cities uh, around okay. the USA. This year we're doing, we actually have events coming up in San Francisco and Los Angeles and Boston and New York, wow. Washington, D.C. Uh, those are on our calendar currently, and we'll be adding more throughout the season. Um, and so the idea, the, the whole idea behind Ski Bums is that if you like to ski or snowboard, we want you to be able to meet other LGBT skiers and riders who love the mountains as much as you do. Our goal is for you to be able to make new friends and to develop those friendships both on and, and off the mountain. And Chris, can beginners join in? I mean, these people don't necessarily have to be the Gus Kenworthies of the state. I mean, first timers and novice skiers and snowboarders are welcomed, right? Because sometimes it can be yes. intimidating. You know that, Chris. Yes. <laughs> I do. I admire anyone that learns something new. But uh, one thing that I've been able to see, I've been lucky enough to watch people who 
simply joined our group because they've always wanted to ski or they were just looking for something fun to do. They, they watched the snowboarding competition at Whistler a few years ago and said, I want to do that. <laughs> uh, it definitely takes a few days to learn. It takes about three days to really get the hang of it. Yeah. But we specifically have trips that are designed for beginners where you get a free lesson and you have the chance to discover what it's like to be up in the mountains. Um, Ski Bums offers trips from everywhere from beginners all the way through to seasoned experts. Don't miss the outfield. Sundays, 11 a.m. East, 8 West on Sirius XM LQ.